So we're gonna go behind the scenes of the Rancher Advocacy Program. This is the program that Rowdy Girl Sanctuary has started to support other ranches and farms to transition their businesses into vegan businesses. And uh, the story is about a week ago, exactly a week ago actually, I showed up here because Renee called me to go rescue a cow. Uh, she was like, we're, we're gonna do this cow rescue, so can you come document it? I was like, okay, I'm gonna come. So I came here to document that. I thought we were just gonna do that. And I uh, just called it a day, I was gonna go home and get on with my <laughs> life. Um, but this one mission turns into so much more. So that's really what we're gonna unpack here today. And this is a bonus episode of the show because all the things that we're gonna talk about, we documented them firsthand. So whether it be the actual rescuing of the cow, the conversations we had there with the ranchers, um, the other ranch that's becoming a sanctuary that we're gonna talk about, the chicken farmer that's transitioning that we're also gonna talk about, we have firsthand accounts of all these experiences that all that is gonna come out on the podcast as well, or has come out, we're not ex exactly sure when we're gonna release this, but we really wanted to do this episode to digest everything that happens and talk about, you know, tell the story from our perspective, Uncut, unfiltered, raw, honest, real. So, uh, yeah. Unfiltered, raw, not naked, but raw, okay? But it is going to be the naked truth because we are going to tell you some things maybe you wouldn't even believe is going on in uh, the world of animal ag. We've got to be somewhat careful uh, in talking about these things because as we learned, Ryuji, uh, it's quite fascinating that these farmers and ranchers that are tied in to the underbelly of animal ag, you know, they cannot speak about certain things about the industry. They cannot take photos, expose, say things uh, without getting in serious trouble, uh, which we learned the dire consequences of in our uh, last few days, you know, with the Barretts, which was you know, wow. And also, just for the sake of y'all out there on uh, Jane Unchained, you can actually go to iTunes or Spotify, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, check out our podcast. How do they, do they just search? search? Yeah, so if you search two Rowdy Vegans, to the number two Rowdy Vegans on iTunes or Spotify, you can listen to all the episodes of our podcast where we break down many important topics in our movement and really our mission with this podcast is to bring you to the forefront of change. So we've interviewed people like Connie Spence, the vegan Batgirl, who talks about subsidies and how the government has broken the supply and demand curves of the animal agriculture industry. We go in depth in, those, in that topic. We've interviewed Tommy, um, who's Renee's husband, the cattle rancher behind the first beef cattle ranch to go vegan and to become a sanctuary. Um, the episode that just came out with Silas Rao, he is the executive producer of Cowspiracy and What the Health. He's on a mission to create a vegan world by 2026, has a very methodical way of getting there. Um, so really our mission is to bring you to the forefront of change. And that one was just uploaded just about half hour ago. Yeah. So you can actually uh, go there after you watch the two, two, two rowdy vegans, two, two, two rowdy vegans, two, two. To rowdy vegans, two, 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 uh, from a woman named Cindy. Well, prior to that, Celeste, uh, my office assistant, had said, you know, Renee, uh, there's a woman that called. She's got a cow that's pregnant. She's kind of fallen in love with this cow, and she's a rancher's wife, and she really wants to talk to you. And when I heard that, I knew that I needed to, uh, you know, push her up in the barrage of messages that I get on a daily basis of people wanting to surrender their animals. I mean, there's a onslaught of people wanting to surrender their animals all the time, and I call them back every one. 
I may not be able to call them back the day they call, but I do always call everyone back because it's always an opportunity to educate. But every now and again, a message will come through that I know is urgent. And this one was one such call. And when I called her, I was in my bedroom, laying on my bed. I had my pillow propped up and I was prepared for a, a long conversation because I knew it was going to be. And uh, as soon as she answered the phone, she began to just elaborate on this story with me. She absolutely could not believe that I was uh, actually calling her and taking the time to hear her, her, her problem, her story. She started to cry. She was absolutely in tears when uh, she told me about the baby uh, that was in Honey's womb. She said, Renee, my husband is going to send Honey to slaughter because she has an ACL torn on her leg and she's not, according to standards in the ranching industry, she is absolutely not uh, considered viable or useful. And so she was going to go to slaughter at 10 years old pregnant. Well, I uh, listened with, uh, with, you know, just keen observation. And after she was finished telling me all of this, I just said to her, I said, are you convinced that you do not want honey to go to slaughter? Are you absolutely 100% convinced and uh, that, that she will not go to slaughter? She said, I will not let her go to slaughter. I said, will you get in front of the trailer? If your husband takes off and tell him not over my dead body. And she just went, oh my God, you want me to pull a rowdy girl on him? And I said, yes, if you, if you are serious about saving honey's life, you have to be willing to stand up to your husband and tell him not over my dead body. And she listened and she said, wow. And I said, yeah, I said, that's what it's going to take. And so we talked. She, she listened. She was willing to uh, fill out the form on our website. Uh, she was willing to send that in with photos. I told her straight up that I wouldn't be able to take her here because we are at capacity with large animals. And it's just uh, not a good thing for us to do when we have so many large animals on our pastures. As much as I would love to save them, everyone, we need more acreage for me to do that and be you know, responsible. So I just said no. And I, but I will find you a home. I will do everything to find you a home. And so, uh, called Donna Whitelock over at Rejoice Ranch. Those of you that follow us know that Donna was the one that, uh, took care of all of our animals during Hurricane Harvey, a beautiful, sentient, vegan woman, uh, that is just absolutely awesome. And, but what happened is she said she would, but then uh, the day before we were scheduled to do the transport and go and meet Cindy and pick up the cow and all this, well, Donna calls unable to uh, feel, fulfill the commitment because she had a death occur. And one of her very, very dear friends uh, was killed tragically and she was just unable to cope with the, uh, the events that would transpire you know, regarding this. So, I called Holly uh, Holly Shackerel with the Star Love Ranch, the seventh generation cattle ranch operation that the Ranchers Advocacy Program is spearheading. And, you know, she was able to say yes. And so, because she was able to say yes, uh, we launched on a vigorous course of action, and you were with us. We went to pick up... Uh, I started to say Cindy. We went to pick up Honey, and uh, the pregnant Honey, and we found out that she also had a daughter named Ginger that was five months old. And as a result of that, we were able to witness firsthand a sixth-generation cattle rancher named Richard change before our eyes. He was so skeptical in the very beginning, wasn't he? He was skeptical. He was uh, not sure about us. You know, these shady characters that wanted to take his cow uh, from them and not pay him. He thought for sure 
we must be going to take honey to a, a cell barn ourselves and get the money. Until me and my husband started to really talk to him and he began to soften, open up, and invited us into his home. And what happened in their home was indeed a miracle. And we actually have some footage on this. And I, is it good? We didn't do a podcast with them, did we? We need to. We should. We need to do a podcast on them. We it just wasn't, we weren't able to. But we have some incredible footage that we're going to be putting out for some of our content with the Ranchers Advocacy Program because he shifted, he changed, he softened, he saw that he couldn't be. Tell it, tell it, tell it. Do you remember exactly what he said about I can't be an environmentalist? Yeah, he said, Yeah, I cannot be, I cannot call myself an environmentalist and be a cattle rancher. And who else said that? Howard Lyman. Howard. I was gonna say, I was going to say Tommy Sonnen for a second. That, that's the name that pops my head. Yeah, you know, well, Tommy never said that, but he, he believes it now. He didn't believe it at first, but to watch a sixth-generation cattle rancher that's not vegan say that out loud, it just, because I remember, I remember Howard Lyman saying that. And I've seen all sorts of memes out there on social media, uh, you know, that say that with his picture on it. You know, that's one of the greatest, uh, I think means ever, ever that Howard Lyman has put out that you cannot be an environmentalist and eat meat or be a cattle rancher. And this man said that. And I went around the bar, gave him a big hug, and come to find out he had actually heard about Howard Lyman on Oprah Winfrey and knew all about that story. So somehow some of his messaging was in the back of his mind. Really. At first, he didn't know who Howard Lyman was. And then, as we started to talk about Howard Lyman, he remembered who he was. But this man is receptive. He is very receptive. I, it would not surprise me if he goes vegan and is the third Texas cattle ranch in the to uh, go vegan and change and do something different with their way of life. Wow. Yeah, and I want to stress that, you know, when you say that he was receptive, he was receptive in that environment, in that context, with us there. And I think it's very important to stress that because I've been thinking a lot about this, this whole thing of people being open, people being not open. You know, because sometimes when I, for example, post outreach conversations on my Instagram uh, and people see that the people I talk to are very open, they're like, wow, I wish more people were like that. Most people really don't care and, and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't believe that. And it doesn't, more importantly than, than my intellectual belief, it doesn't correspond to my experience. Yeah. And what I find is that the majority of conversations that I have, people are open and receptive and nice, and I don't get into conflicts and arguments. While at the same time, I have very productive conversations that, that change people and, and have really get people thinking. And so with this man, Richard, He's a man that if you just gave the breakdown of who he was, you were like, you know what? This man is a sixth generation cattle rancher. He sends cows to slaughter. That's what he does. Many people would just see that and take the black and white view that, well, this guy must be a horrible person. He's not going to be open. Um, and probably if I talk to him about veganism or animal rights, he's going to shut me down and not listen to me. And you know what's funny is that they're right because if they talk to Richard, they, exactly. then... He might be like that. Right. For several reasons. First, you know, I, I think that a huge part of why Richard opened up, not just as a cattle rancher in his hypocrisy, but he, he opened up about a story. I mean, he really, he spilled the beans. Like he, he, he put cried. Up, he, he cried. I mean, he really put himself out there. And he really opened his heart to us, which I'm so appreciative for. And I think a big part of that is that you and Tommy, Tommy being a former cattle rancher and you being his wife, which is exactly Richard and Cindy. I know. Um, you know, and you being able to be there, be empathetic and not judge him at all. I think that's why he was able to open up because he was able to see your story and relate to your story. And, you know, me being me being there as well, like, because for me, I was also, you know, I was documenting the whole thing. I was not really taking part in the conversation. But I was still, I was not judgmental. I was just, I was very open myself. And so it really brings home to me this idea that whatever you put out, that's what you get back. From your, from your standpoint, being behind that camera, mm -hmm. 
I bet you were just blown away by some of the things that were happening right before your eyes. I'm so glad you were there. Yeah. I'm yeah. so glad. And I didn't have the full context when I got there because I, like I I knew and I was like, okay, this this kind of cool. I guess we're gonna ranch or rescuing a cow. But for, for me, the, the main thing was rescuing the cow because what happened with Richard and Cindy was spontaneous. Yeah. It, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. It we, was we, not planned. Yeah, we, we weren't like, you know what? We're, we're going to do outreach with these ranchers for, yeah. like two, for like two and a half hours. Like, let's go. That's, that wasn't the point. The point was to go get honey. So I was like, I was getting ready for that. Um, and so, and I, I did know, though, that Richard was going to drive the trailer from, right. uh, from Lufkin. No, it was, where was it at? Not Lufkin. Um, Huntsville. Huntsville. From Huntsville to Giddings. He was going to drive the trailer, which was a couple hours. Ended up being, by the time we finally left, it was dark. Uh, we had to drive the trailer. It was wet. It was rainy. It was cold. And the cattle rancher, Richard, wanted to get a cattle prod. Remember that? To get, uh, I mean, Honey was terrified. Honey was, she, she was 10, 10 years old, leaving her only family that she knew, uh, leaving, you know, all of her friends uh, and pregnant and he at the last minute the rancher decided to also give us ginger that was remarkable but honey was crying she was trembling she was terrified and we got to witness this rancher you know be empathetic to us saying no no to the cattle prod and we worked together me my husband and Cindy and we got honey up into that trailer without the use of the traditional methods that cattle ranchers use every day. Yeah, and here, here's here's what I saw because that was I, I know that you've experienced that before. It was the first time that I ever saw animals being loaded into a transport truck of any kind. It was my first time witnessing that. And to give context to what I'm about to say, we were about to transport honey and her and her child Ginger to a sanctuary. We had nothing but good intentions, all of us. Right. That being the case, Honey was still so scared. I mean, I mean, it doesn't take, a, I'm not even, you know, like, I understand that sometimes we as vegans, we say like, oh, you know, like, just look into their eyes and you'll see their pain. And I'm empathetic towards people who wouldn't see that because for me personally, if you'd have told me that four years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Right. I, like, I would have said that. But with Honey, it was, it was black and white. What I saw was, first of all, she was standing far away. She didn't want to come near the trailer. Um, you know, when we were trying to get her there, she, 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 was, she wasn't having it. Ginger, who we loaded up in the trailer before, Honey wasn't having it either. I mean, you could see them as, uh, you know, um, basically Richard was trying to round her up and, and get her to go towards um, the, do you call it a shoot? shoot uh -huh. Towards the shoot that leads to the trailer. She didn't want to go. She would. She would go. She would back up. She would stop. Uh, she, I mean, she she would stop. She would stop trembling and just shaking. Just, and just shaking. Like and Richard would be like, just go. And, and she would. She wouldn't go. And then he said, get the prod. And I'm like, oh hell no, we're not doing the prod. And Cindy was like, no, no, no cattle prods happening here. No. Yeah. Well, Richard. Richard actually said. He said uh, while we were doing that, he said, get the prod. We're not going to use it, but it scares them. But, so. But I didn't want to scare yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, that's the thing. They are, because it does scare them. You know, and, and there's no reason. You can move these cows. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen it happen. Because my husband, being a traditional rancher and having that background, you know, he can still sometimes get in this mindset where you got to, you know, you got to, like, take this paddle and shake it. Not to hit them with it, but to shake it to get them to move. And you just don't need to do that. You know? But you gotta you got to, like, really engage the animal with your intellect and your heart and your body. It's a combination of heart, intellect, and body. And also the space from your heart that also exudes out here, like your your soul body. I mean, you have to engage the animal with all of who you are. Not just a paddle shaking and trying to get them to move. You know, you know, your arms, your hands, your heart, your head, your voice, your very essence. You know, when you're working from that heart space, the animals respond because that's who they are. They don't use paddles and, you know, and guns and, and, and stuff to, you know, to relate to us. They use who they are, the essence of who they are. And so... 
I don't know if that's transferred what I just said, but that's really how you do it. And you just and you direct energy, you know, into their beingness, you know, from heart, head, hands, move, you know, and they end up moving, you know, and doing and and they see that there's no ill intent, but when you're shaking something, there's no telling what's gonna happen. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. We were all of us there loved honey, we loved ginger, and once she finally got on the trailer with Ginger, she was still shaking. She was crying. Like, I mean, visible tears. Visible tears coming out of her eyes. Dropping on and the trailer. You, you could clearly see that she was she was scared. Um, she would struggle in there. I mean, like, you you could tell that she, she was scared because from her perspective, she's seen other cows leave. Absolutely. Leave from there. And and Richard, this And never are, come back. These are words of Richard. He said the cows know what's they, they all know what's happening. Not because it's not just them. You could see the other cows oh. who are seeing this happen, who are clearly concerned for their friends, for honey and ginger, because all they've ever seen for the ones who have seen that are is a one-way trip. They know that once their friends leave in that trailer, they're not coming back. It they, is, they've it seen is, it. It is palpable, you know, and what what just happened, you know, for me in this moment is 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 I I saw it, I feel it too. Because the red trailer left here so many times with animals that never came back. You know, I and I felt it and I watched it and that red trailer became a just a, a you know, just a symbol of death and hope hopelessness for me. And uh, and so anytime I'm around this type of activity, even though the intentions are good, see, me as a human, what you just said, it's so true. Even though the intentions are good, I get really shaken inside because my memories of a trailer taking animals off the ranch are of when we used to separate them from their mothers and take them to the cell barn. It's like PTSD. I, I still get it. And just when you were talking about it, just then you shook me out of the moment of being in this podcast to when, you know, when how I feel when this happens. And, you know, and that's the purpose of this podcast, to take you behind the scenes and, you know, to be real and raw. And so I didn't want to, uh, I, I wanted to make sure that I said that because... It happens every time. Every time, it, even if we're putting trailer uh, uh, animals in the trailers to take them to the vet, I still get that same feeling. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know, if if you think about it, going even deeper, this ranch that we were at, Richard's Ranch. I mean, he he is a, a rancher that treats his animals well. Um, I'm saying that in quotation marks because in the end, they're, they're still sent to slaughter. So. Um, I'm not saying this to justify what he's but saying. But he thinks he's treating them he, well. He thinks he's treating them well. And he's, his intent, his conscious intent, is a good one. He loves the land. He loves the animals. Um, so he's not out to harm the animals. But that, And I'm saying this because, see, this is really what I'm personally uncovering after these experiences about the humane myth. Right. Because I'm like, okay, people talk about this whole humane thing. And what, what I'm seeing on ranches like Richard's ranches is probably the closest thing that you're going to get to what humane would be. Mm-hmm. But that being the case, it's still, I mean, it's still not, it's not good when the cows leave for the sale barn. That's not good. That's terrible. That's still being separated from their mothers, still being sent to eventually become slaughtered, whatever, wherever they go from the sale barn. I mean, they could go to different places, but they're eventually going to get slaughtered. There's nothing. There's nothing good about that. There's nothing good about being transported in that truck, um, in that trailer, which is essentially a metal box. I mean, the, because these trailers have not been made for the comfort of animals. No. They've been made for the convenience of transporting livestock. So it's it's not it's not a beautiful it's not beautiful it's not nice it's not good. And the ranchers feel that because that's what Richard opened up to this too. He was like, you know, they know it's a one way trip. He said, when you drop, this, these are his words. He, t- he told us, when you drop them off at the sale barn and they look at you with their big eyes, you can feel that, you know, because you're the only thing they know. And he said himself in that conversation, he was like, you feel like a murderer when you do that. And you are, but you know, and, but the thing is, that's why I always say, you know, that, you know, meat is murder. I have a cup that says that, that Marco Vigano made for us, um, 
It really is. Meat really is murder. But see, we are conditioned in our society to consider the fact that meat is not murder because there's no you can't go to jail for eating meat. But that doesn't stop the fact that the violence perpetrated on that animal so that humans could eat their flesh is the same. It's the same act. You know, it's the very same vicious act. If I was to just come over here and slit your throat and, you know, skin you and fillet you out, uh, I mean, what a gross thing to even think about, you know, that you would actually take a being, uh, a, a, a being, a person. I mean, an animal to me is like a person. Uh, slit their throat, skin them while they're you know, alive most times, cut their limbs, and 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 literally fillet them out, gut them, and put them in packages. I mean, imagine doing that to a person. That is not only murder, uh, but that is a, a horrific act of violence and sadistic and... Wrong. Wrong, totally. And so, uh, it is murder. You know, let's just call it freaking fact what it is and uh you know whether or not you can be uh you know go to jail for it or not i mean not everything we do uh just because uh you know we can't go to jail for it doesn't mean it's right i mean you know and the people <coughs> excuse me and the people who are close to that feel it too like richard he felt that and i know tommy says that too about how for him it's so nice that he doesn't have to send these animals to slaughter anymore. Oh, yeah, I know. It's so nice. It's so, so nice. Rodney, too. Rodney, who is the chicken farmer that we're going to talk about later, also said the same thing. I mean, the, the people who are closest to this feel this. You know, it's easy as consumers, which is me, basically. For me, it's easy for me to disassociate myself from all of this because I'm so far from it. But the people who are close to it... They feel what's up. I've been to vigils in Los Angeles where there was a truck driver. You know, we were bearing witness at the truck and he turned the lights on for us. He, he let us see inside the truck. He was very, very nice. And uh, one of our members talked to him and reported that he was like, you know, you should see them uh, in, in the farms that they come from where they've never seen sunlight. I mean, it's terrible. Um, and, you know, I mean, and he, he's seen that mm. and he's felt that. So... This is not to say that it's, the, it's everyone's case, of course. I know someone's going to watch this and be like, no, it's not true. Most of them don't care, blah, blah, Okay, people are diverse. The world's not black and white. I feel like I'm going to say this over and over again. But the point is, there are people who are very close to this who feel that this is wrong. Right. So I think it's important to understand that because, yes, of course, I always think the primary victims in all of this is the animals. 100%, oh, yeah. 100% of the time. But Absolutely. the people who are involved in this are also, I, I don't know if I would call them victims, but we have to understand that for them, it's also not like glorious a lot of the times. Well, they're victims of the system. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a system that is dependent upon us staying complicit. Uh, the, the very system, you know, depends on us, you know, not waking up to the truth. And so, you know, none of us are going to cozy up to, you know, a filet mignon. You know, uh, we're not going to cozy up and want to snuggle with, you know, uh, some bacon. But we would want to snuggle up and cuddle up to a pig or a cow. It's like... If you are a, a, a child, a child would want to snuggle up and cozy up to a pig or a little calf. But you wouldn't, you know, when you break it down to the little bits of flesh that it is, you know, you have to call that a T-bone. You're not supposed to get close to the food you eat. My husband used to say, Renee, don't name them cows. Uh, the FFA students and 4-H students that call me. You know, wanting, uh, you know, to surrender their animals. You know, they tell me all the time, we're told not to get close to our animals because mm -hmm. we have to be able to send them, you know, uh, you know, to slaughter. I got a pot belly pig, you know, so I quit eating bacon. That's very interesting because they started developing feelings for the pig. So now they, so now they can't eat the bacon, but they can still eat the chicken. You know, and so when you start trying to wake them up around the chicken and the beacon, oh, no, no, I can't see, you know, because once you see, you can't unsee. Once you know, you can't unknow. And then a whole world of true compassion, you know, the real depth of compassion really opens up.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and man, I was thinking about something that actually I think relates to this, and it's the idea because I was talk, I was thinking about you know why is it that Richard and Cindy were so receptive to you, and I was thinking about how this can be relevant to anyone who's listening, and I think a part of it is. There's this concept that I read about in, uh, I think, the book Influence by Robert Cialdini. And he talks about how we like to listen to people who are like us. Yeah. For example, he was trying to teach, or I don't know if it was him or someone else in the book, it doesn't matter. Someone was trying to teach their child how to swim. And they got all sorts of swimming instructors. They tried different ones, certified ones, renowned ones, etc., etc., but nothing would work. But what did work is when they had a play date and another child came along and they were in the pool together. And because this other child already knew how to swim, ah. the kid was like, wait a second, this kid can swim. I'm going to learn how to swim too. <laughs> right. Learn how to swim straight away. Wow. So we like to listen to people who are like us. So I think that's a part of why Richard and Cindy opened up because they were like, wow, these people are like us. So if they have something to say, maybe we can listen to them. But think about how that's interesting, even from the point of view of exactly what you were talking about. Because for us, we would never want to kill another human being. In fact, that's prohibited by law, by, by everything. So that's what? just socially accepted that it's wrong because people are like us. But think about how even, you know, now we're moving towards unity within human beings. We're still far away from that even. But arguably we're moving towards that. Actually, I think Steven Pinker wrote about this in a book called The Better Angel of Our Nature. But anyways... Um, the point is, you know, there used to be divides between, say, different racial groups or different genders or gender identities because we like to associate with people who are like us. Uh, yeah. And that applies to even animals. Right. And how the animals that we feel closest to are the ones who are more like us. If you think about the animals who are less like us, the, the more they stop resembling us, the harder it is for us to feel compassion for them. I think that's a big reason why, you know, for example, one, I think one of the groups of animals who are maybe the most exploited, certainly in numbers, the most exploited are marine animals. Mm-hmm. They're exploited in the trillions to the point where the FAO doesn't even count them in numbers. I think I'm pretty sure they count them in tons mm-hmm. because it's just so many. And what happens to them is so appalling. I mean, they, they get fished out of the ocean. They're skinned alive. They're left there to suffocate. They're protected mm. by... They're, they're not protected at all. Lobsters are boiled alive. And all these animals feel pain, pain the same way that we do. Yes. And that being the case, because they're so far away from us, because they don't resemble us, we relate to them less. I think that's why, for example, you know, we relate to cats and dogs way easier than, say, we relate to a chicken. That, I, love, I relate pretty well to chickens. I, I relate pretty. I relate really well to chickens too. I know, but we but, woke up. But you know, I, I think I think that's why, for example, it's very easy to do. For example, dog cow analogies or dog pig, or you know, people can stop eating pigs. Um, but then the, this chicken thing is is kind of you know, and it, it's just the further away we get. But um, like I, I think I think it's interesting to think about it from from that lens because it's another part of understanding how we work as people. That because that's we can look at that and we can look at it a couple different ways. We can look at it as, you know what? People don't empathize to people who are not like them or just beings who are not like them. They should be otherwise. They should re- like, we should really be this way, which is true. But I think a more productive way to look at it is, okay, so this is actually how people work. How can we now use this information and use it effectively? For example, if we're trying to reach ranchers, let's have other ranchers go talk to them. Yeah, and here we are. You know, if a a good tactic, this is tactical, if there are ranchers that we're trying to change, instead of me trying to go there, I should be like, I should try to get Renee and Tommy to go there. That's a better tactic. Um, And it's working. And the Rancher Advocacy Program, you know, started on the premise of just this type of um, real organic events that started happening with people just like Cindy and Richard and Jennifer and Rodney, uh, you know, they would start, and, and Holly and Davey are some of the, you know, folks in our, uh, in our program. When I would get these calls, it was those people. It wasn't the other kind of people. It wasn't vegans calling me wanting to know, uh, you know, how I did this. It was the ranchers calling me, the families, the wives, you know, wanting to 
uh, be in my heart space because I understood what they were going through and that I would also not judge them, not call them a murderer, even though I called my husband a murderer. Because, you know, when I was going vegan, I really, you know, it took me a while to assimilate that, uh, all these feelings and to see, you know, once Howard Lyman straightened me out with the way I was thinking about my husband, uh, I was able to see, you know, well, you know, maybe my husband isn't a murderer, you know, in, in terms of, you know, he's actually doing this maliciously, you know, has ill intent. He's, you know, sending these animals to slaughter because he's a really terrible, horrible person. See, I had to get the context correct. Mm -hmm. And once I got the context of what my husband was doing correct, I could take that label off of him and, and see him as a human animal. And I could love him too. And this is what these rancher families are able to, the reason they're able to drop their guard with us is because they're able to talk about these heartfelt moments of when they actually had these experience with their animals and not feel judged. Uh, just like Jennifer was telling us about that calf that, that uh, ran with their goats that was just like a goat and ran with their goats and 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 were very close to the family uh but when it came time you know when the when the calf got grown and, and big it was the right thing to do was to send him to slaughter and you know the right thing according to the ranching system and what you're doing and how you're making money and how you're taking care of things the right thing to do this is what you do and, but that was the hardest thing for them. They did that. And you so, and you so, and so, you know, when this happens, I mean, she was even showing us footage of this calf with the goats from five years ago. And, you know, because I could take it all and put it into, put it into context, I was able to be in this moment with her. I was able to share in this memory with her without looking at her like some horrible person. The family I was able to go God you know I understand and you know and I do I relate so much and you know and you know what I told her I said what you need to do now is tell to tell that story every chance you get tell the story of that calf every chance you get because he was someone and he was someone you identified with and knew and sent to slaughter mm -hmm. you know and sent to slaughter and now that your eyes are open, you know you would never do that again. And tears were falling down her eyes. Mm. You know? But she, she was able to have this moment with me. And so it's, it's very cleansing. It's very opening. We have to have these relationships and these conversations with ranchers and their families. That's the reason Jennifer, uh, you know, contacted us is because, you know, Sean Munson, you know, uh, the, the key figure behind Earthlings and... Dominion and Unity, uh, one of the one of the ones with Unity, you know, had her contact me because she wasn't able to identify and cope with the feelings, the emotions that were happening as a result of the fact that they had stopped, you know, farming animals. They had stopped making money on these animals and all these feelings were coming up. She had nobody to talk to about it. She couldn't relate. And as soon as we connected, it wasn't 48 hours, I think, and we were there over at her house. <coughs> we went there after we left the Giddings from Starlove. We took Honey and Ginger to Starlove. Cindy and her husband, Richard, you know, followed us. And, you know, in the dark, we found a place for Honey and Ginger to go. And then they got on the road, donated to us and to... Holly, you know, I mean, this, here's this rancher family made a very generous donation to Rowdy Girl. I was shocked. They're basically going vegan. They, they are. And thanking us for our work. And, and then right after all that happened, the next day, Cindy texts me and says, send me this recipe. Send me information about... You know, uh, you know, the movement. Wow. Uh, my husband wants, you know, to know, you know, my husband's really going to, uh, opening up. He wants more information. Keep sending me stuff. 
And so I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And so, and then that very day, we also get that call from Jennifer Barrett and it became very apparent that we were going to Arkansas. Hmm. Before we talk about that, I, I want to talk about an experience I had in, uh, at, at Starlove after we dropped off Honey. Um, because they are, they are, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the first ranch to, they're doing a sanctuary plus veganic farming mm -hmm. um, business. They're the first one that's going to be documented by the Rancher Advocacy Program, which is incredible. Um, and, and so we spent a bit of time there. We got to meet their cows and we got to walk around their, uh, their property and it was, it was really cool. So after we dropped off Honey and Ginger, when we ended up hanging out with the cows, um, again, th because see, this, these, this is basically the first time that I'm really having these experiences with cows. Coming here at Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, uh, go to Starlove, and then uh, Jennifer and Rodney's farm. Th those are basically the first times that I, that I personally really encountered cows. Um, and it was really incredible because when we were at Starlove, there was this newborn calf. Know. You know, the, the little calf that was born? And, uh, you know what they named him? What? Van Gogh. Oh, oh that's, that's, Van Gogh. that's super cute. Yeah, and um, you know, this, this little calf who was just born when, when we were there, just born. Like I, the, that the, day or the night before? That, yeah, that day or the night before was just born and uh, was sitting off in some corner somewhere and not doing too well. Or I'm, no. I'm not it's sure. Doing good now. Do, doing good, which is, that's awesome. Amazing. It's really, really good to hear. And, uh, you know, and so we went to check out this calf. And, you know, we, we checked him, her, him, 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 we checked him out and uh, Renee gave her a little diagnosis. Then we want to shoot the podcast and a podcast episode that we shot with them. And while we were shooting that, Tommy went to, uh, evaluate. Check, to, to, to evaluate as well. Uh, and Tommy came back with a diagnosis, um, which one thing that I would love to get more on the podcast is interviews with people who have worked with animals to talk about the inner lives of animals because I, I want to learn more about that um, and I'm, I'm, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. I'm learning by being in those environments um, but I was like wow like Tommy really really gets this. This is really incredible. Like I, I want to get to get to know this but when we were checking him out what was incredible was the mother because the mother was there and by the way um, Holly told us about how this mother, the mother of this newborn calf, had another baby in the herd who her and that child, they were the closest two of the whole herd. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what she said. And, uh, you know, when we were checking out the baby, I saw the mother was there. She was looking. She was looking and then she was, she was kind of like, what's, what's going on here? I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, Pro, I don't know if she's. Do you know if she personally has had babies taken away from her? I'm not. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm sure. Of, um, yeah, I'm sure of it because so, that's what that's what she was on the ranch. Right. For. So, so she's experienced that in the past, and so she was probably like all this was going through her mind, and uh, you know at some point she even came closer. She came to check her out, uh, to check everyone out. So we kind of backed off, and um, but you know this is just to testify that they they know what's up. Even the night before when we dropped off Honey and she was there with Ginger, um, you could see that she was being very protective of oh, Ginger. Oh, yeah. She almost she charged was, Tommy. Yeah. She was, she was protecting her child because all she knew, like, she probably thought that she was going to slaughter or she didn't think that she was going to a good place. I mean, she was terrified. These animals are shocked when humans treat them with tenderness and kindness. They are. They're really shocked. I mean, uh... You know, you, you, you have to know that these animals that are food animals, quote unquote, uh, they don't get, you know, kind attention. They get picked up by their legs, thrown in crates, uh, prodded with, you know, cattle prods, uh, you know, shoved with their foot. I mean, they get treated so uh, horribly by humans. And so when humans treat them with kindness, you know, they're just like, up with this and and you know this is the relationship that we all have the capacity to develop and deepen with these animals that's the reason when I when I mm. when I lose one of my animals here at the sanctuary that I've gotten so close to the the grief I feel so deeply is it, it's deeper than 
than it's so deep it's so different than when I've lost like dogs and cats because to allow ourselves to love animals we used to eat is a different type of love it's a different it, it comes from a different place because we were never allowed to go there we were never allowed to love a cow a chicken even though I may have, have wanted to or thought that maybe or maybe I never even wanted to but I never even questioned it and then all of a sudden now it's like oh my god I'm having these feelings for a cow I had these feelings for a goat how can that be and and so you know, it's, it's, it's very important to, you know, to cultivate and, and deepen those feelings. And I don't even know where I was going with this. Where was I going? And I think this is very important because that's exactly what happened to me in my personal journey. And especially after starting activism, the relationship I have with animals is so much deeper than when I first started. Because when you, when you just go vegan and that's it, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, what happened is, is that for two and a half years, I was vegan, but I never really made, a, made an effort to meet animals, any animals, really. I was in college at the time, and I didn't even hang out with a lot of cats and dogs or even companion animals. I just didn't really, you know, meet animals, um, which, again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But after I started activism, two and a half years after I went vegan, I started meeting animals in a lot of different contexts. I met them at sanctuaries. I met them at slaughterhouses. I met them in people's homes. And the more I've met them, I found that my relationship to them keeps deepening all the time. I mean, there, I, I, went through, I went through these different stages yeah. where at first, before I started meeting them, I understood that, you know, I should love them all and that they're all equal. And I mean, I was vegan, so I, I got that. But then as I started meeting them, the first thing that I experienced was after meeting chickens at a sanctuary. I was like, wait a second. I now actually feel about these chickens the same way that I always felt about cats and dogs. Yeah. And I passed, I passed that. But then past that, what I'm going through now is I'm seeing these animals more and more as individuals. Not just seeing them, but feeling them. You're experiencing I'm, it. I'm, I'm experiencing You're them experiencing. and that's how I approach them. When I approach animals now, I'm like, yo, what's up? I'm yeah. an earthling, you're an earthling, what's up? Let's hang out. And that's, exactly. That's, that's really how it feels. And from that place, I've been able to cultivate relationships with animals that I've never been able to cultivate before. I mean, I was thinking about that. I was like, I was, this is so weird. The more I spend time with animals, the more animals get close to me, the more they allow me to get close to them. And the more we actually form relationships, I mean, because see, see to me, because I've never spent a, a large amount of time with animals. Actually, I did in my house in Singapore, but I was, I was vegan back then, so I didn't think about it this way. But what I found is that when I am able to meet an animal day after day for several days in a row, I cultivate a relationship with them through that time that changes I, and I never used to think about it this way because I was like, oh my God, I love this dog. And every day would be like, I still love you. I still love you. But now when I meet animals and I spend time with them, like over several days, I, I literally feel like I'm becoming friends with them. And it's not just I'm feeling, it's like I'm actually becoming. You are. I'm You're actually, experiencing I'm the becoming relationship. friends with them in the same way that you and I became friends, in the same way that I become friends with human beings. I start becoming friends with animals. And I was asking myself, I was like, why is it that I feel like now everywhere I go, animals just, they like me, they, they get around me. I'm like, what? I used to never understand cats, for example. And now everywhere <laughs> I go, like these cats just come try to get my attention. <laughs> They're like purring around me. I'm like, what is going on right now? And, and you have dogs all over you everywhere, the Jennifer. And, and you know, and I really, I, I attribute this to spending more time with them yes. and to deepening my relationship with them, deepening my understanding of them and really seeing them as individuals. And as I approach them from that place, yes. they are able to get close to me as well. Yes, because we have to merge. Exactly. You said, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, we ha in order to have these relationships and these experiences with these animals, we can't just come at them and want to pet them. And want to, you know, pick them up 
and you mm -hmm. know, and oh, aren't you cute? Mm -hmm. Oh, blah, 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 blah. no, we have to come come at them from our heart. We have to, we have to approach them, and 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 get quiet. I mean, I'm I'm really a firm believer in that. You know, the quieter I am in my being when I'm with these animals, the more they're able to feel my true intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, without where I'm not trying to reach and grab them. Uh, and when I am holding them, I'm doing so with much respect, much respect, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. The, the way that I communicate to animals today, uh, you know, I always had an ability to communicate with dogs and cats, you know, when I was, when I was younger and cause I, you know, I have a background in yoga and, uh, and healing of all kinds. And so when my animals would get sick, I always had this natural inclination to do energy work and healing with my animals, you know? And so I would come at the, at the cats and dogs from this place. And, but a chicken? Uh, I mean, I remember when I had my chicken, Dixie Chick, uh, and early on in the evolution of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary before we ever funded uh, vegan everyday stories was it here the uh, Glenn Scott Lacey and um, I can't think of his name but they were here doing our the vegan everyday stories producing it and we won out of 700 entries we were one of the four main stories and you can watch it out there if you want to on YouTube um, you can actually you know google it vegan everyday stories it's there and I was holding Dixie Chick at the kitchen sink. And this is on the actual story. And it's really helped. A lot of people have gone vegan because of this one uh, episode uh, where I was holding Dixie Chick. She had a problem with her leg. She was limping. And so I had her at the sink and I was trying to feel, because I have a background as a massage and yoga therapist, and I was feeling of her little leg, you know, and some of her tendons. And all of a sudden, I got the, the, it was like, the word I use is guttural. It was like deep. It was like, it made me want to gag because I felt the flesh of her chicken, of her leg that I used to call a chicken leg. You know, I want the chicken leg, you know, or the breast, or I was feeling of her flesh because I was trying to help her, not eat her, you know. Here I am with Dixie Chick trying to help her not eat her. But all of a sudden, my, my, my intellect went straight to the fact that I used to eat mm. that very anatomy. Mm. It was, ugh. Mm. I had a very similar experience. When it, this is, this, these two things I'm going to talk about, one of my first sanctuary visits, these are the two things I learned. One was that, you know, very simple, when you were talking about respecting the animals as we pick them up, one of the first things I learned was that, oh yeah, because when, when I was younger, the way that I used to approach animals was like, oh my god, you're so cute, I want to touch you, I want to cuddle you, I want to pet you, like blah blah blah. And mm -hmm. it was all about what I want to do to you, because yes. you are so cute and I love how cute you are. And then I evolved to, okay, let me actually respect your space. So for animals, if you try to touch them, you reach out and they move away. They're saying, don't touch me now. It's clear. So don't touch them. So that's one of the first things I learned. Um, and then the other thing too is I was holding a chicken and I felt her breast. And I had a, basically the, the same experience that you had. And you know, this is why I think it's so important for us to meet these animals. Because it's one thing to be like, okay, we shouldn't eat chickens. It's another thing to be holding a chicken. And for me, for the first time holding a chicken, I was like, this chicken has a warm body. I can feel her heartbeat. I can feel her moving around. I mean, I could feel her life. Yes. That she was alive. And that was very, very different from just intellectually knowing that and understanding that. Actually having the experience was so powerful. And then, and everything, going back to the previous points about respecting their space. This is, I just learned this. I really just learned this, like, yesterday as we picked up Omen. Uh, Omen is a, is a chicken that we rescued yesterday that was running around loose, um, probably escaped from a slaughterhouse or a slaughter truck or something like that. And we found her just roaming around and we we're like, we have to get this chicken out of here because she's going to get killed if we don't. 
and uh, so we were, we were trying to we were trying to get her. I didn't know because I've ne I've never rescued a chicken like this before <laughs> ever in my life. So I, I didn't really know what it was gonna entail. But I remember you told me you were like you were like Ryuji, I don't know if we're gonna get her because chickens are really hard to get when they don't want to be when they don't when, be, when they don't want to be caught when, like. when they, they don't want to be caught. They're they're really hard to to get, and I didn't I didn't know that. But now knowing that, I was I was like oh. I didn't have the right approach at first. That's why I shifted throughout the rescue because at first I was trying to catch up to her and catch her. Yeah, you I can't was, do that. I was trying to run after her and I was like, and and then you know you you kind of calm down and I was like, oh, okay, we we gotta we gotta calm down and we really gotta pay attention to who we're being as yeah. we're approaching her. And that's when we were able to, as a team, you were on that side. I was I was behind her and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna grab after her. I'm just gonna go to her and yes, and that's exactly and, and get her. what happened. And that's and that's exactly what happened. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. We had this crazy experience in Toronto. We were bearing witness at Fearman's Pork with um, with uh, Anita Christ, the founder of the Safe Movement, and uh, and and her whole crew there was it was incredible. And what happened is that as we're bearing witness, I was actually shooting a video with Anita, and <laughs> while I'm shooting, why did that surprise me? While I'm shooting the video. Her dog, who was there, runs into the slaughterhouse. What? I've never told you this, huh? No. The dog runs into the slaughterhouse. Now, no one tells us this until we're done shooting the video. <laughs> Which, looking back, the, like someone should have interrupted that video. At the same time, I'm happy we got the video because the dog was safe. The dog was safe in oh the end. Oh my god! So, okay, it, it turned out well, but... As soon we were done shooting the video, I was like, you know, I was rapping. I was like, I was like, thank you so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Blah blah blah. All right, we're done. And then, like, someone comes up. They're like, your dog like ran to the slaughterhouse. Anita freaks out. And we're like, I'm like, oh my god, I cannot. What believe kind of dog? This. Um, I don't know. I don't know actually. A big one. Little pretty, one. Pretty, pretty big. Yeah. Oh my god. And uh, just runs to the slaughterhouse. So we go. We run to the slaughterhouse. Anita climbs. <laughs> like beneath the gate of the slaughterhouse, uh, she's like scrambling to like this is this is this is, this is ins insane. She's like she's like we need everyone inside the slaughterhouse now. And so a, a few like some people didn't go because this this obvious trespassing at this point. I don't even know if we should, if we should be talking about this, but um, but hey, scratch that, okay? Few, Rewind. No. <laughs> but but a few of us go into the into the slaughterhouse. And um, and just just to get the dog because we're like we gotta get this dog out of here, um, and so you know we're in there. But at first, while while I was in there, I was taking the approach of, of I was trying to chase the dog, yeah. and I had actually done that with stray dogs in the past where I, where I try to chase them down, and it doesn't work. No, because the dog will always outrun you. Yeah, I'm like I cannot so outrun. So a chicken, by I'm the like, way. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm like you cannot outrun these animals. They're too fast for us. Um, you know, so, anyways, um, but but I, but I realized because what happened in the end was that Anita was there. She was just waiting to re to receive uh, the. I, I forgot his name, but she was or no, her name Michelle was her name. She was waiting to receive Michelle, and then Michelle finally came into Anita's arms. And you know, with that experience, with the experience with Omen the other day, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah but so you know, I, I'm so glad you're because you, you didn't tell me that until just now. This experience, so. But I noticed the shift in the energy. That's the reason I was able to, to come down because yeah. I felt the energy change and I and I knew. And so together, you know, I was on one end coaxing one way and you were uh, on the other end coaxing the other way. And then right when we met towards the middle, you were able to pick her up. Mm -hmm. And it was just that simple. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can move whole herds of cows too, by the way. And I've seen it done. You know, I've watched animals go through, you know, uh, shoots and everything just by being led, uh, you know, rather than prodded and rattled and shaken up and kicked. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's because as we grow up, we just assume that we can't communicate with them. Yeah. But we can. We can. And I've seen that and experienced that over and over and over again. And that's what I'm learning, that we can communicate with them. And... As I spend more and more time with them, that's what I'm able to do. And yeah, like going through this, the bonds that I'm able to form with animals, I mean, it's just incredible. You know, and to watch ranchers, you know, just to speak back, just kind of circle back to the uh, the content of this, of this podcast. Uh, 
you know, is to watch ranchers change, to watch their hearts and minds open up to the animals that they used to exploit, that they used to send to the cell barn, that they used to buy and sell uh, with impunity. Just, uh, it's, 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 it's an experience we don't want to miss, guys. We don't want to miss this. That's the reason the documenting of these experiences, their lives, the, the moments of awakening, these little epiphanies of just unbelievable raw love and emotion that they're having for these animals. It's just, oh my God, we have to, we have to go here now. It's time. It is time to rescue ranches. It is time to rescue them, not only from the, the system of, of violence, but also from, from the inability to see these animals as true sentient beings. I mean, to, to watch them open up to their chickens or their cows. Oh my God. It's just... It's just, it's just crazy. All right, so that was it for this week's episode of The Two Rowdy Vegans. Hope you enjoyed, and this conversation actually went on for quite a bit longer, and so what we decided to do was divide it up into two parts. So this was part one, so if you enjoyed this conversation, definitely tune in next week for the second part of this conversation. In any case, thank you so much for listening to Rowdy Vegans. We appreciate it so, so very much. Uh, if you listen to this on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a little rating, leave a little five-star, a little review if uh, you enjoy this content. It would mean the world to us. In any case, hope to see you next week. Stay rowdy. Two, two, two rowdy vegans. 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 Two, two rowdy vegans. One plus one equals two rowdy vegans. Two, two,